This is an EO APAC production, and the Phoenix is rising. This is episode 10, and today we head over to the Philippines. I have with me the second generation owner of Novolino, the number one homegrown wine in the Philippines with about 37% of controlling market share. He's currently the president and general manager of Calabria Company Limited, the makers of this wonderful wine, and in 2015 was awarded the ASEAN Business Award for Young Entrepreneur of the Year in the Philippines. Welcome, Christopher Quimbo. Hey, Chris. Thank you for having me, Ray. Awesome, Happy man. to be here. Thanks for being on the show. Chris, we're going to get straight to it. And, you know, this is going to be a conversation among friends. I just wanted to start off by asking you, you know, I, I also have a, a bar, a, a wine bar in, in uh, Malaysia. And I always thought that Asia doesn't have the weather to be able to produce wines. Yeah. You know, with countries like France, Spain, Italy, you know, being obviously the more prominent countries in winemaking culture, how, how does Novolino do it? Yeah, it's a good question. So first, um, to, for a wine, to, for like a grape to be really good for winemaking, it typically needs to go through seasons and it needs to struggle. And unfortunately, in the Philippines, we have a lot of sun and we have a lot of rain. So you get these really big grapes that are good for eating, but not really great for winemaking. So what we do is we actually own the entire supply chain except for the viticulture. We're able to source the grape juice from mostly Italy, which is why we're called Nobelino. But um, we've been able to kind of source it as a commodity so we can really make sure to get the best quality depending on what region had the best weather. And we bring in that grape juice and then we do the fermentation here in the Philippines. But we don't actually grow the grapes here in the Philippines. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... So basically, you import the grapes in, and you manufacture and you produce the wine in the in the Philippines. Yeah, yeah, and it, we're, it's actually like viticulture is probably like the not that it's about uh, business, but it's a very tricky part of the supply chain. Probably the, the least lucrative part of the supply chain because you have all these people that rom, rom, are like have this romance about buying a vineyard, and then they do, and they realize it's actually not a great business because it's very difficult to do. So the, what we say is we're very proud of doing that because um, we put the value added in the Philippines, right? Like an example that my dad always gives about in economics is that third world countries stay third world countries because we export our sugar at commodity prices and we buy it back in the form of candy. You know that principle, right? Mm -hmm. So who do you think makes the money in that transaction? Uh, what we do is we're proud of getting the grape juice, the best quality grape juice at the lowest possible price. And then we put the value added in the Philippines and we even export back to some of those markets sometimes that we get the grape juice from. So it's something that we're actually very proud of as a, as a company. Nice, nice. And obviously the pandemic hit a lot of businesses. Oh man, yeah. Right. Um, how, how did the pandemic affect your business? I would assume that in, uh, in the pandemic or during the pandemic, it's a very low emotional state. And in low emotional states, people would drink more. So I would assume that uh, a business like yours would have been thriving. Well, I think it, that's what happened in, in a lot of the markets across the world. But the thing is, here in the Philippines, along with the lockdowns, also came a liquor ban. At one point, a nationwide liquor ban. So we had like almost an entire quarter of no sales last year. Gosh. And it was, uh, it was really, really difficult. And um, I had to really reorient my staff. First, we didn't want the pandemic to be a crutch. And also, it actually provided us an opportunity now to plan for the future. So that's what we did. We, there was all these projects that we were trying to do, but we were constantly just focused on operating the company 
because we were in a good place growing, you know, a, a good percentage every year. We were happy, but it gave us the chance to really reorient where we want to take the business. And the, I would say there was two major things that we did to pivot, right? And both of these were pretty intuitive. The first for me was, well, how are people going to be consuming media? Obviously, if you're stuck at home, then it doesn't, it's not really a viable investment to buy billboards and radio ads, which is primarily how we used to advertise our products. So we pulled out of that channel. And the second thought was, well, Filipinos and people in general are probably going to spend more time at home. So they're obviously going to spend more time online. And what's incredible is there's so much information online about this stuff, like data that you can get. So I asked, well, how many people can you reach online? So I looked and I looked at like the, the penetration of these social media outlets. And first of all, like 75 out of the 100 million Filipinos have access to a smartphone with internet. And out of those 75 million, you have like 65 million active Facebook users, you have 55 active YouTube users, meaning they open the application at least once a month. That's a huge reach already that you can grab from those two platforms. And then I said, well, how much time do like Filipinos spend online? Filipinos spend more time online than any country in the world. I think the, the average time online in the world is about six hours and 40 minutes. In the Philippines, it's like nine hours pre-pandemic. Oh so it's like, okay. Filipinos love to watch uh, stuff on the line. We love to. We love to consume media, social media especially. So we, we pivoted that way and we took, we took it and I just learned how to make very um, effective buying ads. So we don't have a booking agency. We just work with Facebook directly, with Google directly. They taught us how to like kind of place that investment and maximize that. And then the second thing that we did was, well, if we can't sell you know, alcohol, even though we know that Filipinos don't drink wine to get drunk, they drink wine to celebrate, but still we can't sell alcohol. Uh, we pivoted and made, you know, a non-alcoholic wine or rather, I guess it would be considered a sparkling grape juice oh, marketed wow. as wine. And I think now that product might become the number one selling wine, if you call it, in the Philippines by the end of the year. So we were able to recover a lot, a lot of our sales uh, by pivoting and making that new product and launching it in just three months. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I want to focus a little bit about the alcohol ban. Mm -hmm. So why was the alcohol ban put in place? I guess the government thinks that when people drink, they congregate and could spread the virus, which is mm -hmm. fair. Uh, the problem is that, you know, from our market research, we know that people drink different categories of alcohol differently, you know, and I don't think that people, like I said, people aren't really drinking wine to get drunk, they're really drinking it to celebrate Christmas or their birthday. So unfortunately, we we still get tagged as an alcoholic product, which is fair. Yeah. And it's interesting. And the reason I asked the question is because over in Malaysia, we had the same thing, or rather the, the government tried to do that. And um, the first, first industry that got banned, or rather the first industry that closed was the bars. So the bars, so the second thing that they tried to do was to, they wanted to see where, we should close all alcohol-producing factories in Malaysia. Man. But if you look at the statistics, the cases that was received or places that got COVID, very few or even none of the bars or none of the entertainment sites had gotten COVID. It was all the factories. right? It was all the areas which uh, were non-bars. So we were all thinking and joking about it, right? Hey, you know what? Um, just 
don't put a ban on alcohol. Let people drink more alcohol. And that's the, that's the solution to stop COVID, right? <laughs> yeah, that's good logic. Right. So with, is, is, the alco- is, the, is the liquor ban still on? Um, the problem now, and this was kind of the problem before, because first there was like a nationwide liquor ban, and then they left it to the LGUs, the local government units. And then that was just a disaster because you have like 1400 different municipalities with different rules on whether you can sell or what hours you can sell. And sometimes even if you were trying to deliver wine to an area and you have to pass through an area that you're not allowed to sell alcohol like you your your truck would get sent back and even the key accounts were asking us like can we can you like help us like we don't know what stores we can sell to or not and we don't have the infrastructure to know and track every single law Mm -hmm. so that's the problem um now still there's different areas that have been on liquor bans since the pandemic started um there's some that have gone on and off depending on what the government did with the ecq mecq modified MECQ, like there's all of these rules and no one really knows, to be honest with you. It's very difficult to track every single one. Yeah. And I guess that's tough, right? So where while you were going through this and the liquor ban is still there, how did you manage the teams? How did you manage the whole, did you have to let anyone go? Yeah. Because no. I can assume, right? Um, three months with zero sales. Yeah. That so must tough. have been just crazy. It was so rough, but I'm proud to say, no, we didn't let one person go. And we actually worked twice as hard, I would say. Like we really worked on being strategic about setting up certain operations. One of the things that we did that was really great was we implemented EOS. Mm. That was huge for us, that system, implementing it with the sales and marketing. And now we've implemented it also with the production team. Are you familiar with that? Like the yeah. operating system, oh, do you run your company on it too? Yep, yep. So like, if you're familiar, it's like we set, we set our core, we set our core values, we set our core mission, we had our niche, we had our unique selling proposition, our marketing strategy, where we're going to look three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. And once you set that vision for the staff, it's very, it's very inspiring, I think everyone can kind of get behind it. And, it, and if we plan on achieving those numbers that we set forth for us, it's like, well, we had better really work hard on planning for the future. So that's what, I, that's what I was saying earlier. Like we used it to really plan and pivot and set up all of these things where we may not get the upside right away, but at some point in the future, we will. And I think this year, despite the struggles we've had with the Delta variant, we've, we've been able to grow the business much more than maybe if the pandemic never happened. Honestly, like mm-hmm. even with all the liquor bans, because we're, we're up considerably to pre-pandemic levels. Wow. I guess one thing I realized uh, throughout this whole pandemic is the pandemic has forced us to do a lot of reflection, a lot of thinking, a lot of strategizing, which we never had that chance in the past because over exactly. in the past, it was always operations, right? It was just exactly. running, running, running everything that we needed to run. And really yeah. this time, although, yeah, it's it sucked, right? Because, um, you know, reverence, like for you, three months without sales, zero sales, and still yeah. navigating it today. What were some of the other changes? So you talked about you producing a non-alcoholic sparkling grape juice and that kind of uh, flew. What inspired you to do that? Well, for one, we had to go back to our market research. So we conducted a market research study. I said this earlier, we were looking into like the consumer habits of what makes people drink wine. And we found that like 
first of all, they really care about the taste of the product and seldom do they drink alone. And the biggest reason why they wouldn't drink wine, like we look at Laps users, someone that bought it in a year but didn't buy it in six months, was that they didn't have an occasion to celebrate. So now it like reoriented what we were as a company. Like we're trying to help Filipinos celebrate life. And I think that people probably need celebration, especially at a time during COVID. So I think that was the big thing. If, if that's the case, it's like, and, and alcohol is really not that high of a consideration for purchase. Well, then why does it have to have alcohol? Why can't you still sell them the proposition of celebration without alcohol? And that's what we did. And it worked out for us really, really well. Wow. I would have assumed that people would relate the celebration with the alcohol, you know, with the buzz. Dude, me too, me too. But the market research doesn't lie, you know? So we, we researched it and I think that was the right decision for us. Awesome. And did you do anything else to pivot or change in the business? I would say we were very hyper-focused on those two big things, right? Focusing on make, of course, if you have a new product, you have to make it the brand known, the product known. We used social media to do that. And then second, maybe thirdly would be the implementation of systems, especially EOS, because that takes a long time. As you know, it yeah. takes a good six months to get everything in order and get people speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that really helped us a lot. And it gave us a clear like scorecard, you know, like a scorecard. We know exactly how the business is going. We have a pulse on the business, maybe something we didn't have before. Very nice. Very nice. I wanted to touch Chris on another topic. Um, and this is you as a business owner, a second generation business owner, right? So going through this pandemic or even before, uh, I wanted to just ask, you know, as a second generation owner, did you face any challenges or pivots through life, you know, when you went into the business? I, I, I figured it must be tough, right? Definitely. Well, I, I grew up in the US, so I came over here about 10 years ago. I didn't speak a word of Tagalog at the time. Oh, wow. That was difficult. What do they say? The first generation builds it, the second grows it, and third squanders it. So <laughs> I always felt that I was still in a position to grow it more. Um, it was it was really difficult because within the first like within the first month of me joining, the previous president kind of left the company. So I really didn't have any kind of training on this, and I'm in a new country. And I kind of just was like a chicken with his head cut off, running around trying to figure out how to run my dad's company. Mm-hmm. Um, another and is your dad still around in the company? He is, yeah, yeah. He's okay. still he's still around. I still try to report to him as much as possible. But in these last ten years, he certainly empowered me a lot, for sure. Yeah. So, what were some of the challenges that you had to go through being a yeah, second well, generation? Um, I think the biggest challenge was we we had we had like a like a national distributor that used to handle all the distribution where we would focus just on manufacturing it, give it to a distributor. And the brand, I think, was at a point where the demand was higher than that of which we could supply. And that structure didn't really make sense. And we had a really, really, really long relationship with this distributor who we are extremely appreciative of, but it wasn't really like a compatible match for where we wanted to take the company. We didn't have a unified vision on where we felt the company could go. Um, so we had to take a very, very different uh, distribution structure, one that requires us to engage many parties across the country. So I had to travel. I've been all over the Philippines. because, As you know, the Philippines is like tons of islands, right? right? So you have to fly to all these different places. 
meet these people you don't really know, ask about them, see if they would be the right fit for you, and basically put up an entire new infrastructure for distributing your products. So that was probably the biggest project. That's that's we've been basically tweaking that for the last like 10 years now since I've been in the company. Because I really believe the number one driver of offtake is your distribution first. You know, you can have the best marketing, advertising campaign in the world, but if the product isn't available in the stores, um, it's, 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 it's useless, right? You have to make sure your product's available. Awesome. So I imagine there's uh, a lot more different pivots uh, going through that, being a second generation. Uh, so I guess the last question for you, Chris, uh, today is, um, so looking through those times, going through this pandemic, pivoting through all this, you know, discovering sparkling grape juice. Yeah. What has some of your biggest discoveries been through this whole last 10 years? Yeah, my, my biggest discovery, which is something we've always said in the company, but like it, it really proved to be true, is that the comfort zone is the danger zone. And if I can, if I can quote or give an example from EOS, you know, we were talking about this earlier. The operations are like the sand and the rocks are like the projects you want to do for the company. And like, you really should prioritize the rocks because if you own, if you fill up your container with sand, right, you won't be able to fit the rocks in. If you're only focused on operations, but if you fill it in with rocks first, plus the sand, you can fit everything in and, and essentially get way more output. So the pandemic actually forced us in a way to focus on the rocks, focus on the projects we're trying to do for the business and the operations we already know how to do, right? So that was the biggest learn that the comfort zone is the danger zone. And just like grapes, ironically, like I said earlier, they need to struggle in order for them to be good grapes for winemaking. So the struggle is real, the struggle is good, and it can bring out the best in people. Wow, so awesome. I, I totally resonate with that, Chris. Um, you know, very recently, you know, we just had a discussion also within the company and it's really asking ourselves, what are what are really truly our priorities? What do we want to get towards to? And in the company, we implement uh, OKRs, right? Objective and key results. And we ask ourselves, what were our golf balls? So we call them golf balls versus uh, rocks, right? Yeah. What were our golf balls uh, versus our little pebbles? And if we fit it with pebbles, then you know we'll miss out on our little well, on our golf balls that we want to yep. play on the on the golf course, right? Yep. So very much uh, aligned with that. Hey, Chris. Um, you know, amazing stories. You know, I I hope that the economy opens up soon, <laughs> and the more important stuff like alcohol gets delivered all <laughs> over the Philippines. <laughs> Me too. I mean, we, we are still delivering. I mean, it's just pockets of areas that have the liquor ban, but we're still able to sell our wines. Okay, awesome, man. Hey, Chris, thank you very much for being on the show today. Uh, I truly admire the creativity in leveraging resources. And I think I remind myself today that, you know, sometimes when we ask ourselves, what do we want to pivot? The easiest way is to look at what is our strengths. And I think it's not really about diversifying to a totally new thing. It's really about looking at our strengths. And for you, you had grapes mm -hmm. and that was your strengths. And just, you know, modifying that into a new market, which was a market that was maybe alcoholic drinkers or maybe non-alcoholic drinkers. But mm -hmm. now you can conquer a lot more markets than you ever before with your non-alcoholic sparkling. So I think leveraging on what we have, the resources and looking into it, looking at our rocks, looking at our priorities, 
And then we can safely diversify into areas which were pretty much unknown before. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much, Chris. Uh, this has been Phoenix Rising in the Philippines today. And I thank you all for listening. Thank you, Ray. You've been listening to an EO APAC production. If you enjoyed today's episode, do hit subscribe and share it with your friends and family. I look forward to sharing with you the next story of a Phoenix Rising.